Brooklyn's Radio. Loving events in Surrey. This is Dave Jones reporting for Brooklyn's Radio. Now today is Heritage Day across a lot of the country. And one of the events going on is a commemoration of the life of Sir Barnes Wallace. So I'm in Effingham, or more specifically in Little Bookham. Sir Barnes Wallace is most famous, of course, from the film The Dambusters as the designer of the bouncing bombs. But there's, there's a lot more to his life than just that. But he also, did a, he also did a great deal for the life of the residents around Effingham. He was very active in the Residents Association and with a lot of other things, apart from the very famous bouncing bombs, of course. We can have a look around the exhibition, which includes photographs supplied by his family. It's not been seen by the general public before. Artifacts on display from the, from the family and from Brooklyn's Museum and from Effingham Parish Council and St. Lawrence Church in Effingham. It's also a video area showing some films and interviews with Sir Barnes. Now, this exhibition has been put together by the Effingham Residents Association to commemorate his life. There's still many older residents here who remember Barnes Wallace and his wife. We can have a look on the exhibition. Now, walking in the barn for the exhibition, there's lots and lots of people here. So we've got uh, plates commemorating the life of Barnes Wallace, uh, comment table, all sorts of stuff about his life in Effingham as a resident. Lots of panels of information provided by heritage societies and books and museum about his work in the avian aviation industry and his work as uh, chairman of the Effingham Residents Association. Um, that's a teas and coffee stand you can hear in the background, which is rather popular. And then there's uh, a movie being uh, shown at the moment, which is an interview with Bond's Wallace's surviving niece. And what she knew, she knew about bouncing, bouncing bombs at the time. And with Vivian, one of the main organisers of the exhibition. Hi, Vivian. Barnes Wallace lived in Effingham for 30 years, um, and he was very, very involved in the village. He um, helped buy the KG5 playing fields. He was one of the people that raised the money for it. He was chairman of the parish council for 10 years. He was secretary of the parochial church council for 10 years. He helped found the Effingham Housing Association. Um, So he was involved in the village as much as he was in his own career. And um, we realised that this year is 40 years since he died. Um, And we thought, well, since it's 40 years, we ought to do something. And the rector said to me, could I do something? Because she thinks I can do anything, because I'm a historian and um, I do a lot of research, but mainly 18th century. So Barnes Wallace is a bit bit current for me, really. He's a bit Uh, too new. He is too new, uh, but he's absolutely fascinating. I've so enjoyed researching this. I mean, this man was just amazing. I think everybody would agree with that. You'd agree with that, wouldn't you? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely incredible. I was just reading about his early life. Didn't do that well. Didn't do that well at school. They thought, who knows what's going to happen to this guy. Bottom of the class at one point. (laughs) (laughs) Just shows what he can do when he tries hard, doesn't it? It does. And uh, I think what was remarkable was that uh, he went to Christ Hospital School in Horsham. um, And he reckoned it was a defining place for his life. It taught him how to think. So he might have left without any qualifications and he didn't go to university. But he reckoned it made him. And I think for most people you can think, well... There's always a second chance. You know, if you fail at something, don't think that's it. There's always something else you can do. So I think he's quite a remarkable role model, don't you? Well, yeah, and um, if they taught him to think, then they did a very good job, that's for sure. They certainly did, and what we need some more of them, that's what I think. We need more people, like more engineers like Barnes-Wallace, and that's what we should be producing out of our education system. Absolutely. Now, your, your, your proper job is being a historian. 
Um, well, I'm retired, but I'm a qualified historian. I've got a, uh, a master's in historical research, um, and uh, I do a lot locally, mainly locally. I'm historian for Fetcham Park, the Grade Two listed house down in Fetcham, and I do a lot of work down there. In fact, I've got a talk on Friday, and I haven't done any work for it yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you're going to be doing all next week, then? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be working hard this week, <laughs> putting that together. Well, this is a great exhibition. Where did all these panels that are on show about his life, where did all those come from? Um, well, we produced them. So I wrote all the, researched all the information and wrote it. Um, the, the pictures, have, some have come off the internet, but many of them have come from the family and they've just been lent for this occasion only. And they are in the commemorative booklet that we're selling, £5, bargain. Um, so they're, they're being used for that, but the family seriously have just said just for this occasion because they've come out of their own photograph albums. Um, and then I have a colleague, Brian Sherwood, uh, who's one of the three curators of the exhibition, and he's a marvellous designer, and he has created the panels from what I've written and all the photographs. I mean, he's just done a staggering job, hasn't he? Yes, they are very good. Yeah. Very clear. And, and the same, he's, he's designed the book as well. So, yeah, he's done a great job. And he's done a great job with all his research. Yeah, well, I hope so. I hope if nobody's yet told me I've got it wrong, but I have had some of it checked. There's a, a lovely guy um, up at the Barnes Wallace Foundation in Yorkshire, Peter Ricks, who did a talk at the Surrey History Centre last week. And there's a small exhibition on there in the foyer that he put together, and he knows everything about Barnes Wallace. And he did check all the, the uh, career side of these panels, put them through him, sent him up Word documents to check. So we have been doing our checking. <laughs> And as part of your research, of course, you watched the film. I did. I actually watched it this week because I'd only watched bits of it, you know, and I hadn't watched it for years. And this week I actually put it on and watched a lot. And it's still a great film, isn't it? It's a wonderful film. Yeah, yeah. And it does paint him as well as being an absolute genius, as incredibly, incredibly hard-working and... He, he just hated the fact that people died. Yeah, he did. I mean, and, and when I talked to his daughter, I interviewed his daughter um, last week, or the week before, and we're showing it here on a video, and she talked about that, and his granddaughter was also in that video, and they said how much he hated it. Um, it really upset him all his life, and after the war, when he did work on aeroplanes, he always used models so that they didn't use test pilots. And that's why... That makes sense. He is, he is obviously a great humanitarian as well as yes. his job as a designer. Yeah, I think, I think he was. He, he absolutely, I see him as a role model, a quite remarkable, remarkable man. Great. Uh, well, congratulations on this exhibition. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. I'm with Mandy, who is the local rector. I'm also told it's your fault this whole thing is happening. <laughs> no, I would love to, not like to take any credit for it. Um, this uh, Barnes Wallace, who um, we are marking today, or I, I hesitate to use the word celebrate, but we are marking um, Barnes Wallace today, uh, is buried in St. Lawrence Church Churchyard, which happens to be one of my two churches here in the parish of Effingham with Little Bookham. And so, yes, we provided the name, as it were, um, and the person, but way before my time. <laughs> Is this this barn that 
anything to do with you as well, or is that no. completely separate? No, the, t- the Tithe Barn that we're sitting in at the moment um, actually belongs um, privately to a family who live in the village, in the village of Little Bookham, and they are very, very generous in lending it out to us for various um, community events. In fact, we have another community event coming up at the end of September in here where we're going to have a, um, a, sh- a bring and share harvest supper, again using this barn. So we're most grateful that to uh, the family, to the Nichols family. It is an amazing building, isn't it? I love it. I love all these um, curved wooden beams and things. Yes, yes. It's it's, it's as you imagine a barn to be, um, very large. I, I believe it's one of the largest in the area. Um, and the fact that it's we're able to use it on a regular basis is just so wonderful. It's got these wonderful wooden beams and uh, fairy lights around the beams that are there all the time that can be used when various events are going on. And people just come in and quite often, as they haven't seen it before, they walk through the door and they go, wow, isn't this amazing? And they're absolutely right. And I think this exhibition is wow as well. I thought it might be small scale, but there's a lot of interested people here. Yes, Barneswall is, is a, you know, part of our British history and um, it's lovely to be um, part of that as well. I can't take any credit for the exhibition. I, um, it's all down to Vivian, who I believe you've already spoken to, um, who is our local resident historian. If, if Vivian doesn't know it, it didn't happen. So if we ever have questions, we always go to Vivian. Um, but she and I work very closely together to put on various events um, to mark uh, Barneswallis. We've got another event coming up in October where we've got a speaker coming. Um, and that often happens because he is of uh, great interest and we get a lot of people who have at least heard of the dam busters that's a good starting point and then come to find out a bit more about the man behind the bouncing bomb although i believe it wasn't a bomb it was called technically a mine but um, i may be wrong on that (laughs) it went bang it went bang yes it definitely went bang i wasn't there i'll say that You're far too young. <laughs> yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Barnes Wallace is early life. Now, he went, his father was a medical practitioner, but not that well off. And he went to a at Christ's Hospital, which is a charitable, charitable boarding foundation. And at school, uh, surprisingly, he didn't do too well, actually. They thought his, his um, uh, inability to speak Latin was a big problem. And he left without any qualifications at the age of 17. Oh, dear. But, of course, he was brilliant at science, and he had won, sci- had won science awards at the school. And uh, in 1945, he was elected as a fellow of the Royal Society, which is science, of course. At school, he had excelled at science, winning the school Wilcox Science Prize and being singled out as uh, someone who should study science at university. He was also good at maths, English, history and modern languages, but not that Latin. I'm with Rupert, who's just relaxing, having been uh, had a good look around. So what sort of things have been interesting you today, Rupert? Well, I've been following the Heritage Trail around Effingham, and it's been very interesting. We went to the Methodist Church and saw a big display on the Surrey dinosaurs, which was very well explained. Uh, went on to St. Lawrence Church, which was occupied. Um, there was a wedding going on, so came on down the so-called Bishop's Path, through the woods, to the um, beautiful little All Saints Church, which is really one of the most interesting churches I have ever seen. It has a a Norman Isle arcade, which has been blocked up again, the exact reverse of what happens in most churches. It also has a remarkable early Latin Bible, a Vulgate Bible. So I was very pleased to look at that. Then walked on down to the wonderful Tithe Barn, which I really uh, love coming here and uh, found a very good exhibition 
on Sir Barnes Wallace. So you've had a walk around the exhibition? I have indeed. And learnt about Sir Barnes? Sir Barnes Wallace, yes. A remarkable man I've always admired. And um, the author of the new book on his life is here. And lots of displays as well. Um, as, as a naval man, it's nice to see that they've got a young picture of him in his naval uniform. He's normally depicted as an elderly civilian in the Second World War. Um, so I'm pleased with that. He looks as though he was quite a rugged tough when he was a young man as well. I didn't realise he was in the Navy. Yes, um, he, was, he originally in the First World War uh, joined the Army, but was then pulled out on the, for special government projects, uh, building airships, and allocated to the Royal Naval Reserve as a sub-lieutenant. Um, but uh, that was for the practical purpose of giving him a job while he designed airships. <laughs> and you were in the Navy yourself, you said? I was, yes. I was an, uh, an instructor in, in the Navy, uh, rose to the exalted rank of, of lieutenant commander. But I uh, had an interesting time. Uh, I was in Hermes during the Falklands War. And um, also, in fact, I, I like to come to the little service in, in St. Lawrence Church each year um, because it's, uh, yes, it's nice to see a, a small memorial service uh, rather than the, the, the very large national one in London. You were on the Hermes during the Falklands War? Yes, I was. Um, and, uh, yes, I was actually looking after the, uh, the, the war correspondents on board, uh, Brian Hanrahan and, and Mike Nicholson, as well as writing the ship's war diary, so it was quite an interesting task. Quite amazing experience, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, well, we were the first Royal Navy ships, I think, to come under missile fire during conflict, which was uh, interesting because you can actually see them coming. <laughs> <laughs> but no time to get out of the way. And, uh, well, we managed to avoid them, <laughs> actually. They fired them at extreme range. They were very, very good pilots, the Argentinians, and very brave men. They pressed on at very low level, and they sank, of course, quite a number of our ships, but not any of the big ones. Thank you. It's lovely to meet you. And you. Thank you very much. So, Barnes worked on designing all sorts of things. He spent a lot of years on airships, 1913 to 1930. Number uh, Not very um, exciting names. Number 9, R100. Uh, the R101 and so on but um, yeah, working on airships especially during uh, World War One. then 1930-1945 aircraft, designing aircraft jockey fighter type 151 later jockeys, Vickers, Wellesley bombers then the Wellington bomber that he's most famous for the geodetic airframe and Victor Vickers Warwick multi-purpose aircraft uh, and then in World War Two, uh, with the Wellington bomber it was the actual um, bombs of course after the war, Barnes worked on supersonic aircraft, the Wild Goose, which is a very unusual um, airplane with no um, uh, no tail fins. The Green Lizard, which looks a bit more like a missile, but a lot of it was experimental stuff, working on what would go supersonic, what could work. And he spent a lot of time on the swing wing design, which, well, quite a few military airplane have, airplanes have swing wings, but then, it's, uh, then you can fly efficiently below the speed of sound and above the speed of sound. And the swallow, which uh, has huge triangular-shaped, um, the swallow, which is triangular-shaped um, airplane. <laughs> Some of these look like uh, very modern American airplanes. Barnes is most famous, of course, for the Dambusters movie, creating bouncing bombs, which were unheard of at the time. The infamous upkeep bombs, which 
did literally bounce. The aircraft flew low, dropped the bombs, which were rotating barrel-shaped bombs, and they would bounce all the way across to the uh, to the dam that was the target, sink down, and then explode, and um, bye-bye to the dam. They were very effective, but um, the airplanes had to fly low and had to fly through a lot of uh, anti-aircraft fire to get to the to get to the target. But they did their job. Um, and then there's earthquake bombs. Now, in 1943, there was intelligence that the Germans were building large underground bunkers for the development of flying bombs or rockets, which, which did happen, of course. And the, the buildings were so heavily fortified with concrete, it was very difficult to do to bomb them and get through the, um, get through the protection. And the Barnes came up with the idea of the earthquake bombs, where essentially you dropped the bomb very close and it, it burrows into the ground rather than exploding on the surface, burrows down deep enough, explodes, and you get a sort of an earthquake effect, which then destroys the, uh, the protected buildings. And they work very effectively as well. Grand slam bombs. Can I just ask you, what draws you to, uh, to the exhibition today? Um, well, Barnes Wallace has uh, always been fairly famous. man of a certain age, known quite a lot about this sort of thing. I'd forgotten about geodetic construction, but I've remembered it again. And we'll go in and read about... Um, the social history as well as the uh, engineering. Are you uh, locals? Yes, we live just the other side of Book and Fetchum, so not too far to come. And it's, it's a beautiful day. Yes. It is a beautiful Oh, start here. So are you doing one of these heritage trails? Yes, we've got the Effingham Heritage Trail, and then there's a, a Bishop's Trail, which I think is actually part of the Heritage Trail. The Bishop's um, Walk. And then Bishop's Walk, sorry. Um, and then, yeah, do some yeah, more. And there's see. more things to do later on today. I mean, it's a Mole Valley have really gone to town with this. It's a really good sort of series of events they've put together. So. Yeah, and it's a, this is an amazing place here, isn't it? These barns and everything oh, yes. here. Hopefully, there's some. Hopefully, there's some history of the barn and how it relates to that farm over there. And we, we could guess, but we'll go and find out. Now, the actual exhibition, so uh, you know a little bit about this and you're interested in this, and I mean, everyone's seen the Bouncing Bomb films, of course. Uh, yeah, bouncing Bomb, absolutely. Dembus yeah, is the I film. I didn't know he was involved nah, in the Bouncing Bomb. Or the... Um, R100. The R100, the um, airships. I didn't... I, you know... Yeah. Pre, pre, pre the bouncing bomb history passed me by. <laughs> so, um, ah, well, when you go out in there, he's, he designs submarines and all sorts of things. Oh, right, okay. Oh, it's yeah, it's very busy in there, though, isn't it? So it's quite difficult to actually get to the boards, but um, we'll we'll get our elbows out and fight our way through. Yeah, fight your way to the front. Yeah, and this is organised by Brooklands, is it? Because no, um, the Effingham Residents Association. Ah, righto. But there's um, the stuff, stuff here that's been loaned by Brookens Museum. And oh, right. there's a guy called Derek up at the top end there. Right. He's from Brookens and he did a, he does, he's responsible for the, uh, the bomb exhibition, the bouncing bomb. Oh, Wallace Bar- Barnes Wallace exhibition at Brookens. Ah, righty ho. So he's an interesting guy to talk to. Ah, certainly will. What's quite interesting this year, seeing, um, seeing a, a dam actually being rebuilt with a helicopter. Really? <laughs> instead of destroyed by an aircraft. Well, I happened to be up in the northwest. You know, there was. Um, Whaley Bridge, it, it was a near disaster. Yeah. Instead of trying to breach the dam because they cause so much destruction when the water comes down, they were trying to shore it up successfully, I think. And yeah, that's it. It's over 100 years old, isn't it? Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it actually feeds the canals, and the um, Prime Minister says it's going to be rebuilt. So there we are. There's a The current Prime Minister. The current Prime Minister, <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm certainly not putting money on that actually happening. <laughs> but we might not buy a house in Whaley Bridge. <laughs> Oh yes, yes, remembered airships and Grand Slam. I hadn't, I the Grand Slam bomb. I think 10-ton test must be an American name for that bomb because Grand Slam's the proper name. 10 tons Imperial. Oh, no, yes, and it ex- cont- continued to work in the aircraft industry, so I think he may have had a, 
a little bit of influence in the um, Vulcan bomber. There we are, because I don't know, it's Avro. So he may have had um, influence on Concord. Ultimately. He was a busy man and rather clever man, of course. Yeah, well, yes, definitely. There we are. Oh, and he, he lived to see the Vulcan flying over. That's good because it's no longer flying. But Great. Thanks so Cheers. much. I'm with William Hill, who's chairman of the Friends. So do tell me about the Friends, please. Well, the Friends was set up um, a number of years ago, actually, to support uh, All Saints Church in, in Little Bookham, which is a very historic uh, building dating back to the uh, 11th century. And this year we've extended our remit to include St. Lawrence uh, in uh, Effingham. So today, really, we're sort of relaunching the, uh, the Friends to, uh, to cover both churches. And, you know, the idea is for the local community really to help support these very old historical buildings. So is, it, is that about restoration or is it just about building a community? Um, it's, it's two, I think, two things. Um, the, the Friends is very much a social organisation. You know, we all organise a number of events. We had a big curry lunch earlier this year. We've got uh, a Barnes-Wallace talk uh, coming up. Uh, we've got a, a, a local choir coming and singing next year. So the, it's, it's about bringing the community get together but these churches are really community assets and it's just too much for the congregations to support in their own right. So we try and get the wider community to, uh, to help support the buildings as well. well. I guess an 11th century building needs uh, a lot of work. It does, sadly, yes. Um, the maintenance is, is an ongoing, ongoing problem. Uh, and I don't think you know, a church today would choose necessarily to, to have a, an 11th century building. But they have, they have great character uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, they've been part of the local community for a very long time, yeah. And it is a really beautiful area around here, isn't it, Little Bookham? It's a privilege to live here. It really is nice, yeah. It's, there's lots of fantastic schools, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's a lovely place to live. Great. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Right, I'm with Jeremy Palmer, exhibition curator. Hi, do tell me about the exhibition. Well, um, I've been responsible for all the media bits, all the, the, the um, audio-visual, the films which we're showing today, tracking them down from the BBC and, and the uh, Wallace Trust, who very kindly allowed us to show one of their films. Um, That's so, the one that's on at the moment with um, this, his wife. This is actually a new one, a new interview between um, Vivian, who's curated this exhibition, um, and Barnes Wallace's surviving daughter. Um, which we're very pleased to be able to show. And we'll show that a, a couple of times through the day. Um, but the other material as well it hasn't been seen in decades, so it's all new, um, essentially, for the people who are visiting us. So that's, yeah, that's great, and it looks like people are really enjoying them as well. Yeah, there's a lot of people here today. Indeed, indeed. We've, we thought from the amount of publicity that uh, we've been able to generate that uh, we would get a good crowd, but this is surpassing our expectations. So it's really good to see this. Lovely to see some of the younger people coming in as well and learning about Barnes-Wallace. Thanks very much. You are? Uh, Keith Cornwell. I'm with Keith Cornwell, who's a steward here. And uh, I'm with Effingham Parish Council, and we've got some of the exhibition here. Uh, where Barnes-Wallace was, in fact, the chairman of the Barish Council at one stage, as I have been as well. He was for about ten years or something, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was, yes. So he, the local life must have meant a great deal to him. Yes. Well, I also knew Barnes-Wallace when I first came to the village, and uh, he was still around. Predicting w- was he a celebrity in those days, or oh, just, yes, just an yes. ordinary guy? Yeah. No, no, no. He was a celebrity in those days. And so... Uh, um, yeah, we used to have a little events uh, involving him, and he used to tell us how he was going to die at 92, which he did. 
<laughs> That's a strange prediction to make. No, he based it upon he'd done an analysis of the lives of his family, and uh, and concluded that he was going to die at ninety-two. And he got it right. He got it right. Yes, another job he got right. <laughs> but I'm also involved in the housing association, which he is. He was uh, very instrumental in preventing the road from being widened uh, up through the street by buying a property and then having bought it said what are we going to do with it and so it's uh, used now for the old needy of Effingham. Oh there was a bypass or something was planned wasn't there? Oh there was a bypass yes that was a separate thing yeah yeah to widening the street. The street is still the same width as it was when he intervened. (laughs) So he wanted to keep the area with its beautiful local feel and keep it small. Indeed, yes, he wanted to keep it as quiet as 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 it isn't now. Actually, <laughs> great, thank you very much. Okay. So I'm going to have a wander around and talk to a few people. Uh, an interest in the local area and all the beautiful buildings and history that surrounds the place. Find out a bit more about where we live. It is a beautiful area, isn't it? it certainly is, and the sun shining. So that's great. <laughs> On the last rays of summer, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a fabulous place too. The timbers are amazing, aren't they? And I've never seen anything quite like it, to be honest. It's beautiful. It is. I love these wooden beams that are sort of curved. And it, it makes you wonder how it ever got built. <laughs> well, it does, doesn't it? I can see there's been some restoration, of course, after all these years. But uh, even so, it, it's, it's still... Uh, an incredible place and it would be really interesting to have seen what it was like at the time with all the tithes actually stored in it, wouldn't it? But um, no, it's beautiful and obviously used for weddings now at some point, isn't it? I think with the lights and and the beautiful, the lighting. Yeah, the curtains. I'm not a local but it is a a lovely little area so if you're new to around here you've got a lot to explore so it appears. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's quite a few places open today. We've been to the Manor School opposite, which is a gorgeous uh, Queen Anne building, I think it is. And that's, that's fabulous. Good for you. Nice to meet you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Now I'm with Derek. Derek's a volunteer at Brooklyn's Museum. And he's brought some bits and pieces along to the exhibition today, including a model of the highball bomb, um, photos of the highball bomb. So tell me about the highballs then, Derek. Highball bomb was one of the two bouncing bombs produced by our our good friend Barnes Bullis, who was based at uh, Vickers in Weybridge in Surrey. It was a genuine spherical bomb, unlike the upkeep, which had to be developed so quick. And the only way to make it spherical was to strap wood sections around it. But as we know, it was dropped in its original boiler shape. With regard to the highball, they had time to develop this. It was designed for dropping against shipping. So in other words, it was a shipborne weapon. That means attacking quite fast, but not too fast, the side of the ship. It could quite safely carry two highballs. These highballs could either be dropped together or one at a time. Derek, uh, I mean, I can understand why bouncing bombs were needed to attack the dams because the planes couldn't get that close and they weren't accurate enough. But um, surely they could drop bombs straight onto a, a ship. Why, need, why would you need bouncing bombs for that? 
Well, I think the idea was you, you've got to go back to Nelson's time a little bit. Oh, bouncing cannonballs across the water. That's exactly, that's where the idea came from, of course, with regard, regarding, we're talking about skip, skip weapons, which is exactly what our gunners in, in Nelson's time found by lowering the cannon, firing the cannon, the balls would skip across, not normally being fired at the... The, the main mast and bring it down all the mast to stop the vessel it was much easier to fire the cannonballs at the vessel because it would hit the waterline and apparently if you hit a vessel at the waterline it makes a little hole water goes in and eventually it may sink now whether that was evolved i mean people have said to me why didn't they use torpedoes because there weren't any were there well we're talking about torpedoes about sinking ship and that's what we're trying to do here isn't it I think the reason is we're talking about a weapon that can move a bit faster than a torpedo. If we go, I know they had torpedo bombers, but if we go back to to the earlier days, torpedoes were dropped by a fairly slow in biplane. Now, with regard to highball, not only was it a weapon similar to upkeep, it was spun in reverse when it was dropped onto the water when it was attacking ship. It, shipping it could also be used for attacking land targets in that case it was spun forwards when the testing was going to take place the whole squadron moved to a disused railway in north wales one of the test pilots that was based at vickers who was a claim to be one could fly anything we have a film at brooklyn showing shorty longbottom dropping one of the very first upkeep not only did it go round the railway line but being so accurate it actually entered the tunnel all the rest of the tests because let me refuse that all the rest of the tests that needed to be carried out needed to be carried a little bit more secret maybe there are one or two people in north wales but it's not so confined as Scotland in the far east of Scotland and they drove us they actually chose a site called Lot Striven very isolated not very easy to get to what you had here was a vessel moored across the end of the lock the mosquito would come in to drop its weapon whether it would drop or one or two it would hit the side of the ship now, with, with ship of the line, you have teak, you have armoured deck, and uh, fairly armoured sides. The idea of the highball, it would roll down the side of the ship, underneath more of the waterline, and erupt and sink the ship. All these tests were carried out quite successfully. It was decided that if it could be used in anger, they would might try and assist the Americans in attacking the Japanese fleet. The whole squadron transferred lock, stock and barrel to Australia. The Americans didn't seem too happy, possibly because up their sleeve, they had the results of, we all know, which ended up in two atom bombs being dropped. Because the Mosquito was a very fast attack bomber, most if well all the upkeeps were taken off of locks of Australia, dropped and detonated, and therefore the whole squadron of six one eight 
which was a secret squadron, returned to Britain to be used again in their main aim as a fighter bomber. Just to conclude the story regarding the highball bomb, obviously when all these practice drops were done, they in lots driven, all these bombs, exploded and unexploded, remained on the bottom of Locks Driven. These were known where to be. Just over three years ago, three and a half years ago, there was an operation to recover to Royal Navy, a Royal Engineering Company, and of course, with all the sophistication we have now with detection equipment, they were able to isolate and detect all the highballs that laid on the bottom of of Locks Driven. Two were recovered. One was virtually passed to the Mosquito Museum, which is quite right. The other one, which was in slightly better condition, ended up at the MOD department at Portsmouth. And in the last three years, just over, it has been virtually fully restored. And within the next month or two, it will join its place at Brooklyn's Museum and will complete the complete set, having then added not only to the highball, but the famous upkeep, the bouncing bomb, Grand Slam, which was 22,000 earthquake weapon, the tall boy, which was a 12,000 pound weapon, and also a 4,000 pound weapon, although it used to be called tall boy small, it was used to confirm angles of the tail to get the right accurate speed required by both the Grand Slam and Tall Boy. So once we get the Tall Boy, we shall have a complete set. And I'm sure we're all looking forward to that. Fantastic. Thank you, Derek. I'm with Jim. Now, you used to work with Barnes-Wallace, I'm, I believe. 1939. <laughs> yes. What did you do? At, on the Wellington... Yes, in, in Vickers. Yes, it was a long, long time ago, though, you know. Oh, no, I only worked with him because I was useless at co- in the... I was an apprentice there originally, and I wasn't any good at hacking things, and they found out that I was good with pl- plans and drawings and stuff. So they sent me up to him, and I was with him for three months or so. And... Uh, and a German, too. And he was very good. A German apprentice? Mm, but they uh, came down one day and took him away to the Isle of Man, you know. And to the internment camp. With Barnes on him, on my own. And he taught me all sorts of things, you know. And at that time, he was well, doing the Wellington. And uh, I was with him when... He designed a ring that went round underneath the Wellington and energised it. When they flew over the water, it drew the bombs up out of the water. You know, the flood. And uh, he designed that as well. And I was with him when, you know, did a lot of the work on it for him. But, of course, uh, being in the RAF, I got called up and, and I was with him only about three or four months, you know. But uh, it's Superman, he was so good to me and taught me so much, you know. He's a wonderful man. Yeah. What did you do in the RAF? I was a navigator and uh, venture 
trained in Canada for 10 months and then came back home. And then I, by accident, I got sent to India. And I was there for six years on, every, on everything you could think of. Yes. You were sent to India, you said? Yes, I went to India. The chap went sick in front of me and I was due to go to the squadron. And uh, I was on Mosquito then, the early Mosquitoes. They didn't have guns, only photography mainly. And uh, we flew. I flew over, over. Um, well, we, we were looking for the what was the battleship Torp Tor Torpids. Torpids, yeah, up in up in the Nor- Norwegian fields, you see. And but when we went, it was always cloudy. You never saw <laughs> saw anything. It was a cloud every day. Uh, so your job was to try and find that battleship. Mm-hmm. So you were trying to find that battleship. Yeah, we were trying to find the torpedoes. Never did. Somebody did later, uh, but they did it from the sea. They didn't from the air. Um, we didn't have any, you know, any sort of guns or anything on the plane. You know, it was just photography. And uh, yeah. And then of course uh, this chap went sick, and I got sent to India in his place. Which, but we didn't have any mosquitoes out there because it's a wooden plane, and uh, the, the termites used to eat the wood and and, and broke it up. So they didn't. Have it. So we changed over to mostly American metal planes at that time. Yeah. Now you used to uh, used to live here and uh, work in Brooklands. Yes, I was working. I, I lived here in in Effingham. Yeah. And and we cycled all the way to from Guildford. Well, I was in Guildford in those days. I cycled all the way to Bur- every day, leaving half past six in the morning and getting there about. Had to be there by eight o'clock. If you got there after eight, you could lost an hour's pay. It's a good cycle ride from here. It's a long way, and it uh, after well, I'd had enough, and I. I, I, and of course, I, it was a reserved occupation, and you couldn't join up. But I did. I got the doctor to say that I couldn't cycle all that distance to keep going, like, and uh, they gave me permission to, and I joined the RAF. And um, so, of course, that's how I got to India, and a navigator, and uh, just to, just the two of us in the plane often, you know. Flying up from Karachi up to the Chittagong, you know, every every day pretty well. Well, days, because it took a long time to get up there. And uh, there was just the two of us and about 60 bods in the back of the plane lying on the floor with a rope over them. <laughs> Those were the days. And another very interesting thing that not many people know about, and that is we went one day... <coughs> We uh, went in and they said, oh, you're, you've got to fly down towards Akkabi, which is an island off the coast of Burma, going down towards Rangoon Bay. And the Australians were coming up the beaches on, the, on this side with the Japs chasing them behind. And, uh, but gradually all their ponies and that had died and they hadn't got anybody to pull all the guns and everything. And... Uh, so they sent us off. So when we got into the plane, there was four, 12 mules in the back and two Indians. I said, what can I do with those then? 
He said, well, if, you know, we'll find out. So off we went. And the pilot had been told, he was, my pilot had been told what he was doing. Anyway, we got down to pass that cab, this island, and uh, flew right down the Australians you could see coming up the beach on the other and they flew almost on, on the water. They slung these mules out, and they swam to the... They swam to the... Oh, they all swam back and got... And the Australians got them, and that's how... Yeah, amazing. I don't think anybody knew anything much about it. Yeah. How strange. Well, amazing, isn't it? Great stories. Great. Thanks very much, Jim. Good to meet you. Getting near the end of the time for the exhibition, and there's a comments board. People putting things like, really first class, well done. Really interesting displays. Excellent, thank you. Excellent, love the films. <laughs> Great stuff. Good to meet Jim. This place is a hidden gem. Great stuff. Uh, event was marvellous. Well, people seem to have enjoyed coming here for the day. So that was my visit to the Sir Barnes Wallace exhibition in Little Bookham today. Great exhibition. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Bye for me. Brooklyn's Radio. Loving events in Surrey.